If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24. We'll be in verses 13 through 35. Uh, we know a lot about how Jesus spent his resurrection Sunday. We know that um, as we have been singing, he, he rose from the grave. He appeared to some. Um, but he spent a good chunk of that day taking a walk. <laughs> taking a walk with a couple of disciples. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning uh, in Luke chapter 24, uh, the, the road to Emmaus. But this takes place after the women discover the empty tomb and they report back to the disciples what they have seen or rather what they haven't seen. And Peter runs out to investigate and to, to, to check things out and finds the tomb empty but no sign of Jesus and... And the, the, the disciples don't believe him. They don't believe what is going on. They don't believe what has happened. And so they are, they are uh, struggling. And now these two disciples are leaving Jerusalem, headed back home to the little village of Emmaus. And so let's, let's read from Luke chapter 24. This is found on page 12 of your worship guide. Starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are, the, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village, but so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is evening. It is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. 
And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, no doubt you have, you have taken many journeys in our lifetimes and you probably have, a, have some sort of road trip tale. I think that's why we like road trips. That's why we, you know, we actually, there's a whole genre of movies like dedicated to road trips. Um, the, the peak of that genre would be Dumb and Dumber, I think. Um, don't quote me on that. Um, but it's not the, the destination, it's the journey. I, I know, right? Cliche. But it's really, it's about the breakdowns. It's about meeting weird people. I, I, I swear, I, I once met Jimmy Buffett at a rest stop and he showed me some guitar licks. I promise. That, is, that will always be my truth. Um, as a youth pastor, I know, and as a youth too, I remember from, from growing up, I remember the most valuable time in youth ministry is driving from Fort Payne, Alabama to Estes Park, Colorado in a church van or New York City in a church van. Like, did both of those things, like that is quality youth ministry time right there. Uh, one time, this is, this is one of those illustrations that's designed to make me look cool because of my interesting and fun life. But one time my friends and I drove, attempted to drive from Sydney, Australia to the Great Barrier Reef. Um, that's like going from Miami to Maine. Uh, it just, it, we didn't get that far. Um, but adventures, the unexpected, the fellowship, the road is part of our literature. It's our ethos as a people. I think as humans, not just as Americans, yeah, we've got Route 66, and down here we have Highway 61, and, but there's the Autobahn, there's the, the Appian Way, that sounds historical. Um, and I think it's, part of it is, and it is a little cheesy to say, but the road is, it's a metaphor, isn't it? Let's just admit, it is, the road is kind of a metaphor for life, for growth, for progress, I don't think it was an, a chance encounter. Well, it definitely wasn't a chance encounter that these two followers of Jesus had with the risen Christ on the road. I think that was the perfect place to talk as they walked along. And this was, this was how Jesus spent that first resurrection Sunday, right? He spent it revealing himself to the ones that he loved. He spent it uh, patiently teaching his followers and walking with well-meaning but but blind followers. Give me one second. There we go. No. This is why I print out my sermons. Jesus spent his Easter, his day of, of triumph, being a shepherd, being a, being a rabbi, 
being a, being a teacher. Jesus reveals himself to his people on the road, and then he gives us hope for our mission. Philip Ryken says, it is only when we see Jesus as our crucified Savior and risen Lord that, that we know how he will satisfy every genuine need and every deep longing of our souls. So let's look at this story in three years. Let's look at what is true about the travelers on the road. Let's look at what is true about Christ on the road. And then let's look at what is the result? What is the result of this? First, what is true about the travelers on the road? We, we know that there are some facts from, about the people in this account. We know that, that one of them was named Cleopas from verse 18. Luke tells us that. We don't know the identity of his other companion. We do know that they had been in Jerusalem and that they were followers of Jesus and that they'd been hanging out with other followers of Jesus. They were headed home to Emmaus about a seven mile walk, verse 13 says. And there they were, they were on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they were also somewhere else. They were between belief and unbelief. They were between despair and unspeakable hope. What about, what's more important uh, about these travelers that, number one, they were leaving Jerusalem sad. They were leaving Jerusalem sad. That, that there are these two words, these two were, the, the events of, of Friday, they were, were weighing them down. They were, they were defeated. They were frightened. They, they, had, they had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. They had, they had witnessed so much. They had heard so much from the other followers of the crucified Jesus. It says that they had much to talk about. In verse 14, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. When kind of from out of nowhere, this stranger just catches up to them and and, and asks what they're talking about. And, and kind of mysteriously, in verse 16, Luke says their eyes were kept from, from recognizing him. And in verse 17, Jesus says to them, the Jesus they don't know is Jesus, says to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And Luke says he literally stops them in their tracks. They, they actually stop, verse 17, and they stood still, looking sad. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Why were they sad? They'd been looking for a redeemer. Verse 21 says that we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They're looking for a king to free their nation from Rome and to restore its glory, sure. But I don't think they were looking just for a political redemption. They weren't looking just for a political solution to this geopolitical problem that they had. They weren't looking just simply for relief from the Roman taxes and Roman oppression and big government and all of that. No, I think they were, there was a hope in the followers of Jesus for a broader expansion, a broader advancement, a broader renewal and reestablishment of the covenant worship of God with Jerusalem at its center. Like I really think that 
that, that what they hoped for was this, this sort of one day, someday peace that endures between God's people and God and a peace that also radiates out as Israel is now once again fulfilling its true mission in the world. I really think that that's the ultimate hope that they had for the Redeemer, what they expected from the Messiah. They were sad because they were grieving. We experience grief in, in many ways. We experience loss in many ways. Yeah, death. Death is the most obvious. But dreams and hopes too. Things that we thought were going to happen but didn't happen. Things that we thought we would accomplish but never accomplished. Cleopas and his companion had experienced loss that was very fresh. The loss of their hopes for a redeemer for Israel. But yes, they, they lost their friend. They lost their teacher. Jesus was dead and they were grieving his death. They also spoke boldly to this stranger about Jesus. 19 and 20, Jesus says, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and the rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. They spoke about who Jesus was and what he did. They also spoke quite unflatteringly about their religious rulers. And they didn't, they didn't know what side this guy was on. They didn't know who this was. They didn't know what position he took, where he was on the political spectrum. They didn't know where he was on the, the religious spectrum, right? They didn't care. They simply spoke boldly the truth as they knew it in the middle of their grief. They didn't believe Jesus was alive is another reason they were sad. Verse 20, they speak of his death, but they also speak of the report of the women and the others. Verse 9 says, they told these things to the 11 and all the rest, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them, right? And then in verse 24 in our text this morning, when they give the account of the, the women and the others who go to the tomb, it says, but him they did not see. The irony here, and there's irony all over this, <laughs> this story. The irony here is that Jesus is standing right beside him as they are talking. And they still don't see him. <laughs> they leave Jesus crucified and not risen. Verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So not only did they have the account of the women and the account of the others who went to the tomb, but Jesus reminds them, you have all of the prophets, you have all of the Old Testament to, to know what is true about the Christ. And it's, it's true they were being kept from recognizing him, but but that, that was working with their own unbelief. That was working with what was already going on in their hearts. God doesn't need a down payment of faith from us. 
It's not like he's trying to, to add just enough faith to our hearts so that we might believe. No, there's nothing there. He's adding all of it. He's giving us everything that we need. There's no minimum amount of faith required that we must come up with in order for salvation to work. We don't have uh, earnest money to put down to prove that we're serious about this transaction, right? Let's see how God is about to work with these two by the way, they're us. <laughs> this is us as we're walking along. Another thing that was true about them is that they were hungry for hope. Verse 28 and 29. He acted as if they were going, he was going further, but they urged him strongly. Come in, stay with us, have dinner, spend the night. You don't need to go on. It's about to get dark and, you know, just stay with us. They still didn't know the stranger, but, but they knew that he had something that they needed desperately. Hope that comes from understanding. Hope that they felt in their chests. Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked while he opened to us the scriptures? They had one of those experiences that, that maybe you've, you've had with another person, just this deep, profound experience where you, you can't really explain it, you can't really under, like, tell, describe what it was, but if you shared that experience with another person, all it takes is a look, and you know what the other person is talking about. You kind of re-experience that experience. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's one of those life experiences like you know, you, the birth of your first child. That's the one that I thought of. Something deep and mysterious. So that's true about them. What's true about Christ on the road? The first thing that stood out to me is that Jesus walked with them. Verse, 20, verse 15, Jesus drew near and he went with them. He's, he's kind of always doing that. That's, that's Jesus' M.O. He's always drawing near to his people because it's his mission. <laughs> it's his mission to meet his people in the middle of our need. He's doing what Messiah does. He's being their savior. Jesus is confronting their disbelief. First with his presence. He draws near to the foolish ones and slow of heart to believe because he's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of our unbelief. He's not ashamed of our, our weakness. 2 Corinthians twelve nine. my grace is sufficient for you right now. It's sufficient for you. And whatever, whatever state of heart and mind and soul and faith and doubt that you might be in, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. He draws near and he wants them to believe. He's not ashamed of us, but neither is he content to allow us to remain ignorant. Neither was he content to allow them to remain where they were in the condition that they were in. And he begins by rebuking them gently, lovingly. Verse 25, 
Oh, foolish ones and slow to believe. And then he patiently teaches them as they walk. We don't get an outline of everything that Jesus said to them on the road. I remember one, one commentator that I read this week said, if you had a time machine, it can go back in history to any moment, any scene in the Bible, anywhere, where would you go? Would you go to the crucifixion? Would you go to the empty tomb on Easter Sunday? He said he would go to this conversation. And he would listen as Jesus opened to them all of the scripture, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He told them the story and the whole story is about him. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus. And he patiently teaches them as he walked. He's a good teacher. Good teachers say constantly, okay, let's go over this again. (laughs) You have to be willing to repeat yourself and not give up on your students. And as they are drawing nearer to home, they are drawing closer to the truth. So he walks with them. He wants them to believe and he patiently teaches them. And then he stays with them. They ask, they ask him to stay and he responds. He responds to our hunger with himself. Verse 30, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. I mean, this is kind of supposed to hit you in the face. What he is doing here. What this is reminding us of. This is supposed to be obvious. He is reenacting the Last Supper, which is itself a reenactment of what just took place on that Friday, the crucifixion, right? He is saying, what you really need is me. My broken body. My shed blood. What's the result? They believe. God works faith in them. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Their faith to believe was a gift. And they returned to Jerusalem with hope. It is with hope that they return immediately to Jerusalem to tell the others. They just got home. They just got, you know, their, their aching, sore feet washed and now they're eating supper and then this happens and what do they do? They put their dirty sandals back on, they put their dirty clothes back on, they get their walking stick and they turn around and they walk seven miles back to Jerusalem at night because they have hope so that others might have hope. So that they might tell the story of what has just happened to them. So they might recount and how the risen Lord drew near to them and taught them and stayed with them. Verse 35 says that he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. For us, it's the sacraments. 
It's the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the wine that we do together each week. It's when we, when we baptize those around, those little ones among us and we, we claim God's covenant promises on their behalf and we promise as the congregation to tell them that story over and over and over again until they make it their own, that we, we sing it, we pray it, we preach it. It's the preaching of the word. It's opening up of God's word to our hearts and opening our hearts up to the lordship of Christ that is expressed to us in his words. It's, it's bending and supplicating ourselves in prayer. It's the iron sharpening iron, unifying love of fellowship. It's knowing that you are God's gift to one another. As we encourage one another in growth, as we help one another, as we hold one another accountable and discipline one another. These things aren't extraordinary. Quite the opposite. They are very ordinary. They are the means by which God gives us as his people to be reminded of what is true about one another, about the risen Lord, And to see that bear fruit in our hearts, don't neglect those things. Come to those things. This really, the story really kind of sets up the second volume of Luke's story, the book of Acts. What what happens as a result of all this hope? The hope that was born in the apostles that first Easter is the hope that drives the church of today. We are still living the results of that conversation and those, that, the results of that resurrection Sunday. We are living the results of the powerful moving of God among his people and transforming hearts and lives and, and making bold and the, the, the timid and making weak the strong. That that, that is the, the result of it. You and I sit here today as the fruit of this wonderful occasion that we celebrate If it's not yours, it can be. If you haven't believed, believe. Trust. Submit to the kingship and lordship of the risen Christ. And this hope can be yours as we celebrate this sacrament this morning. Recognize what the breaking of bread and the pouring out of the cup means for sinners. It means that Jesus has drawn near And he has offered himself and given himself freely, not to those who are good and nice and righteous, but to broken, ignorant, blind, dead sinners. He will make you alive. Their hearts were thrilled. That was another result. Not only did Jesus meet their needs, he met them abundantly. (laughs) Not only did, did Jesus draw near and teach them and walk with them and stay with them, but he did far more abundantly than all they could ask or think. On the road, they were defeated. They returned to the road victorious. Going home, they were sad. They returned to Jerusalem joyful. They had quenched and oppressed, defeated spirits. And now it says 
that their hearts burned within their chests. They were living in the land of Friday, but now it's Sunday, and Christ is risen. They were hopeless and now full of hope. Not a fleeting hope, but an eternal hope. The burning in the chest will fade. But the eternal hope that they possess by grace through faith in Christ Jesus is forever. It can be yours. If you believe already, trust again. Be nourished, be renewed as we approach this table this morning together as his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the eternal hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for all that you have given us in him. We thank you for his his knowing of our great need, knowing of our brokenness, knowing of our sin sickness, and yet his enduring love, his patience, his willingness to, to say as our great teacher and guide and friend, Okay, let's go over this again. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be pleased with us, your people. We pray that you would work faith in those who need it. That you would enable us to trust. Enable us to to remember and recall the, the victory that is ours in Jesus. When our lives seem marked by defeat and sadness and grief, and loss. Remind us of our union with Christ as his people. Lord, as we gather around this table this morning, we pray you would be glorified in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.